Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Reid. I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I am joined today by Leanne Vogel. Uh, Leanne is a certified holistic nutritionist and functional blood chemistry specialist who has been in the space since 2007, helping women use a ketogenic diet to balance their hormones. She also specializes in addressing chronic root cause issues such as parasites, mold, and heavy metal toxicity using standard blood work. I was chatting with Leanne just before we started recording, and she the information we're going to chat about certainly applies to male patients as well. Just Leanne primarily works with women. Um, Leanne is the international bestselling author of the Keto Diet Paperback, uh, founder of healthfulpursuit.com, and voice behind the longest running keto podcast um, called the Keto Diet Podcast. She works one-on-one with clients from all over the world, helping them understand their standard blood work and coaching them through their root cause issues. And you can find her resources at healthfulpursuit.com. Prior to our chat, Leanne sent me this wonderful info sheet, and I was like, I just got to read this um, bio off because it's just so concise and just wonderful. So uh, thank you for sharing that, Leanne, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. I'm excited to dive in. Me too. Um, so Leanne, if you don't mind, just now we have the the official bio um, behind us here. Um, would you mind just um, speaking to how you got involved working with folks dealing with complex chronic illness? Um, I've known quite a few um, certified holistic nutritionists over time, and uh, they certainly don't all dabble in parasites and mold and heavy metal toxicity and heavier stuff like that. So do you mind sharing how you got into this space? <laughs> We really don't because we don't learn about it, unfortunately. And I, I know that there's only so much time that you can pack and so much content that you can pack into such a short um, period of time when you're educating individuals. And that's why if there's any practitioners listening, your your standard run-of-the-mill education is not going to provide you with those details that you're just going to get over years and years and years of experience. And so when I graduated, I was primarily helping individuals with their nutrition. I would take clients to the grocery store. I would show them how to make standard choices that were healthier and just really integrate different actions in regards to their diet. And by far, when we're talking about root cause issues like parasites, metals, mold, lime, we we always have to look at diet first. If the diet is a train wreck, then that's where we need to start. And 100%, I don't discount the power of a strong diet and making um, legitimate changes for our health overall with food. So fast forward a whole bunch of years, and I went on my own uh, personal um, journey through nutrition over time. And that's when I found the ketogenic diet, um, uh, restored my period because I had amenorrhea for seven years where every doctor said I would not get my period back. This is the way that life was going to be. I was in my mid twenties being told that I would never, ever ovulate, menstruate, none of these things. And that my hormones would just always be low. Um, I did blood work just last week and my estrogen is absolutely perfect. Progesterone, DHEA, all those markers that doctors said I would never have normal And so I really use the ketogenic diet for this. And while I was coaching individuals on the ketogenic diet, we would get in a ketogenic space and then they would just get kicked out of ketosis or like things would happen where they couldn't lose weight. And I'm like, it doesn't make any sense to me. They're, they're eating well, they're moving their bodies. Why aren't they losing weight? And kind of at the same time, because I find this always just happens to me, maybe other practitioners also of like, at the same time that I'm learning with people, I'm also learning with my body. And it just so happens that oftentimes it aligns. And so around the same time, I was having a lot of liver issues, which made no sense at all. Um, And I went in for testing, we found a bunch of cysts in my liver. I did some stool testing and found out that I had entamoeba histolytica, which is a pathogenic parasite that over time will ruin your liver 
And that was just like, how, how this makes no sense. How do I have a parasite? How is it attacking my liver? Like, what is the world? And so that was, um, in 2019. And so I started really delving into what parasites were. And then that kind of took me to metals and mold and exposures that I had had in a moldy apartment that I thought was just, you know, you live in mold, you fix the mold. Okay. Like, how could this affect you? And so at the same time, I was attracting more and more clients that were dealing with the same things. And so that's kind of how I kind of fumbled into this. And so um, also in 2019, I realized that I just didn't have the tools available to me to be able to coach individuals through this. So I took um, four different programs uh, geared toward chronic issues, um, including functional blood work, which has been just so incredibly powerful a tool that I can guide clients through using basic lab markers to understand what chronic illnesses they're being affected with um, without having to run 200 to 600 dollar labs that are just inaccessible for most people and so yeah that's kind of what takes us here today where i coach on a variety of different things from just those standard nutrition practices which again so key absolutely essential all the way through you name it parasites gi testing h pylori metals mold chemicals um, viral components lime all the things a lot of things yeah, it is really a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for that. Uh, that the the backstory there, and that yeah, so so many of us just you know this kind of path kind of finds us, so to speak, in some way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. and through various means. So it's uh yeah, it's a good good backstory. Um, a couple of questions based on what you said. Um, so when you say ketogenic diet, um. Is that, and it just seems like there are, I know somewhat ironically, there are different definitions of what a ketogenic diet might be. So like when you're saying, you know, ketogenic diet, is that like, you know, you're getting your um, blood ketones and your um, blood glucose, like, you know, at a one-to-one -one ratio, kind of like full-blown ketosis. Are you talking like, oh, I got like, you know, just a plus one on my ketones on my urine dipstick. Like how, how uh, ketogenic are we talking here? Yeah. So it really depends on the individual. If somebody comes to me with severe mold illness, the first thing I'm going to say is, do you want to try a ketogenic diet? Because it's so fabulous for helping with a lot of mold issues. Um, if an individual just wants to lose weight, it might not be my number one choice, depending on how they're eating. Um, but there's, there's, like you said, Brian, it, there's a vast array of different ways to approach the ketogenic diet. And if you, if you really look at it, this has really been helpful for me in understanding how to explain this is if you think of just glucose burning, the ability to burn carbohydrates as fuel, which many of us are very accustomed to, there are multiple diets within that, that allow us to burn carbohydrates as fuel. Like if you just think of paleo and FODMAP and antihistamine and just all the different types of primal, which is different than paleo, um, just a non-standard American diet, a standard American diet. These are all ways that we burn glucose as energy. Then on the flip side, when we're in a ketogenic state, there are multiple different ways to approach this. So, you know, uh, um, a Parkinson's patient is going to have a very different ketogenic diet than a woman who wants to lose 10 pounds to get her brain fog under control. And so the primarily my focus, just to do a blanket statement on the ketogenic diet is we're eating a low fat, uh, sorry, a high fat, low carbohydrate diet with moderate to high protein. Um, there was a time where a lot of individuals online were talking about gluconeogenesis as a, um, 
uh, a state where if we had too much protein, it would kick us out of ketosis. And while if you're a diabetic, that may be important to you to really watch the protein. Most individuals, specifically women, do not eat enough protein. And so the approach that I generally take to a ketogenic diet is going to usually be a little bit higher in carbohydrates so we can get a lot of the micronutrients in and a little bit higher in protein um, so that we're not breaking down muscle. And that's the big thing about keto and where people get really caught up is if I don't see the scale move, then keto is not working. And oftentimes I've seen when the scale is moving down, it's usually because we are losing muscle. And so it really depends on the individual, but I prioritize micronutrients over the macronutrient profile. So we can make sure that we are benefiting the gut. If we look at most individuals on a ketogenic diet, when I am able to do a stool test with them, they're um, Phasobacterium and Acromantia, which are two key, key, key bacteria in the gut. When these two are low, there's going to be massive issues across the mucosal layer. And so if you're eating a low carb diet, you're not feeding these bacteria and you will have issues in the future. And so just being mindful of that, of if we want to keep those keystone bacteria like really healthy, add blackberries to your diet, add raspberries to your diet. It may mean that you're a little bit higher in carbohydrates, but will eliminate that concern further down the line of these lower bacteriums. And even too, with acromantia, it will affect our glucose control. And so if you're on a ketogenic diet and you're eating low carb and you can't control your glucose and it's spiking up in the evenings and you just can't control it, it could be because of the gut bacteria that you're not feeding. And so it's, it's never simple of just like do this and everything will work. It's really these pieces and um, the ketogenic diet is, is powerful um, but going too strict with it, I haven't seen overly helpful in those just looking to benefit their health long-term. Um, so if, if I'm kind of paraphrasing correctly here, it's really more about, uh, trying to match the right makeup, like kind of the, the more bird's eye view makeup of the diet, um, for the patient, given their health goals, their underlying health concern, or underlying health issues, as opposed to like necessarily being concerned about seeing objective signs of ketosis on on, you know, blood tests or urine tests. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, if you need to go that deep, we, you can, but I think initially a good rule of thumb is just get comfortable with carbohydrates, what they are, what they're in. And you may find that you eat a ton of carbs that just aren't benefiting you. And so start to be strategic around the types of carbs that you are eating. Like Kiwi is going to be far better in fiber and just micronutrients than a fruit roll up, you know, so making that simple change, very similar carbohydrate amounts around 15 grams of carbs, but totally different structure. Um, and so just being mindful of that uh, um, far more than do you have ketones um, in your urine? Are you testing for ketones in your blood? Like it's, yeah, you can go there if you need to. And some chronically ill individuals may have to, but I think a really good first step is just understanding the carbohydrates that you're consuming, the fats that you're consuming, where that protein amount is and kind of switching, switching things up a little bit with those macros. 
Um, and oddly enough, the fruit roll-up comment just reminded me to, uh, as as per usual, remind everyone that uh, nothing we're uh, talking about today should be construed as medical advice. This is all for informational purposes only. If you need any health advice, uh, please talk to your healthcare provider to get that advice. Um, and also, if you're the folks behind fruit roll-ups, please don't sue us for uh, throwing you out of the bus. But uh, I fully agree, fruit roll-ups, awful choice almost all the time. Um, and yes, kiwi, definitely a better choice. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just we could sum up the whole podcast right there. Kiwi better than fruit roll-ups. And a conversation. Exactly. And uh, mic drop. No. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Yeah. And I've got got a big mic to drop over here. This yeah, yeah seriously. No mic. Yeah. Serious. Yeah. I, I need to get a slicker thing like the, the AirPods or something like that. But just I love my <laughs> snowball. Um, so what one other uh follow-up question, Leanne? So um just you mentioned uh, kind of earlier in our chat that or kind of reference like, you know, folks were like, yeah, they're following, you know, a ketogenic diet or they're, you know, sh should be, they're active all this and yet they're not losing weight. And, and I can say from, uh, you know, firsthand experience and on behalf of my patients who like fall into that category, you know, it's like such a frustrating head scratcher kind of situation. And, you know, we have our, uh, methods here at my clinic to try to sleuth out why the heck that's happening. But would you be able to share just some of the uh, clinical pearls that you found in your years of uh, working with folks that have like, what are some of the things that have kind of cracked those cases, so to speak? Like you have a patient who's say, you know, seems to be on like a good diet, like, you know, they're following a keto diet. Um, they're, they're active. Uh, what are some of the missing pieces of the puzzle that sabotage their uh, weight loss goals? Yeah, not eating enough. I see this over and over and over and over and over and over and over, like not eating enough, not eating enough, not eating enough for the activity, not eating enough for the goals and really having to upregulate the metabolism. Um, and oftentimes that's the best way that I've found to do that is an incremental increase in overall calories at around 50 to hundred grams weekly. So let's just say you're sitting at 1300 calories and you're crushing your ketogenic diet. Like your macros are on point. You feel good, but you're not losing weight. And let's say that um, you really should be eating around, let's just make the math easy, 2000 calories. You're probably not going to lose weight. And so what I would suggest is every week increasing your calories by around 50 to 100. So week one would be 1400 calories and week two would be 1500 calories. If you find like you're gaining weight too quickly, slow it down 50 calories the next week and just daily um, increasing those calories on a week by week basis. So number one is not eating enough, especially with women. I notice this a lot. On the flip side, the other thing is snacking or like not eating at proper meal times. So oftentimes what I notice a lot of keto individuals doing is um, having like mixed nuts at their desk and just having a handful and being like, it's keto, this is great. These macros are awesome. Or look at macadamia nuts, there's so much fat and that they're overeating in fat. Um, so kind of on the flip side of that is just the overeating and the not proper meal times. And so really setting a clear intention of having two or three meals a day, like square meals a day. Um, another one is fasting, either fasting too much or not enough. Generally speaking, the women that I'm working with primarily do too much fasting. And so if you're having an 18 or 24 hour fast every other day or every day, um, you know, where you're fasting 18 hours, you eat one meal, then you fast for 24 hours, you eat one meal, you fast for eight. It's just too much fasting. And then it goes into just not eating enough. I think another big piece um, is liver dysregulation. So the liver is required 
massively in the production of ketones and being able to properly um, make this diet work. And so if your liver is like mine was a couple of years ago and just not healthy, or if you had your gallbladder removed 20 years ago, um, when you have your gallbladder removed, it doesn't really remove the problem. It just removes the organ that was responding to the problem. And so really delving deep into what's going on with my liver. Where, where's my ALT, AST, GGT at? Where's my alkaline phosphatase? What is my bilirubin looking like from a functional perspective? And really delving deep, do I need to work on my liver drainage a little bit more? The number one way, as long as you don't have an experience with um, gallstones and you still have your gallbladder, um, or blockages or those sorts of things are castor oil packs um, and really getting consistent with those. Uh, generally speaking, every other day or maybe two to three times per week, working really slow in the introduction at five minutes and just working your way up, I find super beneficial to getting the liver um, on board um, as well as bitters. Something super simple, regardless of where you are, you can even make your own if they're not available. I know um, in Canada, it's kind of hard to get certain supplements, especially if you're doing things on your own. And so making your own bitters or even just actually buying an organic orange and eat, cutting up the um, peel, like the, the rind and eating that as a little snack can really be helpful in um, increasing the bitter content in your diet. Arugula is another good bitter food, dark chocolate. So really focusing on the liver because when the liver is not optimal, your ketogenic diet is not going to be optimal. Um, and then sleep. So a lot of women, as we reach 40, 45, we start dealing with perimenopause, maybe even before that, our livers are not super awesome. Our sleep gets dysregulated if we're not getting a good enough sleep. So we're not generating a good amount of ketones. Our glucose is sideways, really prioritizing sleep and understanding what's affecting your sleep. Number one thing here is usually a drop in progesterone. And so oftentimes in this, usually in this area, things like vitamin B6 could be helpful. Progesterone uh, topically or orally could be helpful to just regulate that sleep in addition to like, don't watch TV in bed and like, don't go to bed at 11 o'clock and expect to have a good sleep and sleeping in a temperature controlled room or getting something like a chilly sleep and those certain things. Sleep is so, so, so important. So it's not just if it fits your macros, everything's going to be fine. Those are, those are the key things that I see over and over and over and over and over again is affecting people and not allowing them to hit their um, weight loss goals. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, and just folks listening, like <clears throat> it's always great when someone who's been in a given field kind of lists off some of their top, you know, in this case, like I have five reasons, like it's, it's a lot of clinical pearls of like, Hey, like this is what I've seen in clinical practice. So it's uh hope, hope folks are listening and, uh, you know, pay, paying attention, I should say to those details. So thank you for sharing that. Um, just circling back to the increasing carbs or, uh, or sorry, increasing calories rather by say 50 to hundred per week, uh, which I've heard other folks talk about that as well. Um, I know I've talked to some patients about that before and like, you know, it'd be easier to ask them to change their religion than ask them to eat more calories when they're trying to lose weight. Um, and then, and especially if they're increasing them and see their weight increasing, like, as you said, like, oh, if you're going up by hundred a week and your weight's increasing only increased by 50, it's like, oh my gosh, like, um, small miracle to convince someone to stick with that, um, game plan. So, um, if just for folks listening, if they're also thinking like, yeah, what the heck is, what is she talking about? Um, 
So is it the type of thing where say you're increasing their calories by 50 to hundred per week, getting, you know, finally you get up to say that 2000 that they're actually expending per day. Um, and then does it kind of like hit this magical point where like, then they start losing weight at an appropriate or an expected rate or like how, how does that play out clinically as a rule? Yeah. So let's say in this individual that was eating 1300 calories, their maintenance calories are at 2000. Um, and maybe their weight loss calories for their activity and everything are 1800. So we know that they're under eating, we know that they will lose weight at 1800 calories, but they're not going to lose weight now because they're just not eating enough. And so normally what I do is get this individual up to the 2000 calories, we really shouldn't see the weight change that much. Like, we really shouldn't see the weight change that much. If it's changing significantly, then I'm thinking there is some significant adrenal situation, mitochondria situation that's making it absolutely impossible for this individual to move forward. So it's, okay, let's back it up. Let's look at the mitochondria. What do we need for adrenal support to just get you regulated? Are there traumas going on? Are you in a really difficult relationship right now that's super toxic, um, terrible time at work, those sorts of things that's going to be more challenging for us. And we're just going to gain weight and feel terrible all the time. So that's one piece. Um, but slowly but surely, we should be able to increase the calories. So in this individual, their first week, they're eating 1400 calories per day, then the next week, 1500 calories per day. And if we just notice we're going too fast, like I said, slow it down, but we really shouldn't see that much of a change. And we also have to understand that fat weighs less than muscle. So if we are, if we are combining this with a workout strategy, whether it be a step goal or a workout goal of some sort, primarily lifting in some capacity, two to three, four, and maybe five, if I get to choose times per week, um, we should see the weight start to shift a little bit, but if it's more than five to seven pounds and there's something else going on and also a good measurement too, to kind of get your mind out of the scale situation is understanding that body composition looks different on different people. So I've had clients that have weighed 190 pounds when we start working together and their body completely changes, have six pack abs and the whole bit, and maybe they're at 180. <laughs> okay, so it's a huge, their body is tight, their lower fat percentage, but we've gone, we've just recomped their entire body. And so we shouldn't really see more than a five to seven pound gain, depending on goals and those sorts of things. But once we get up to that 2000 calories, then we can either increase our movement to start cutting or removing the calories burned or increasing rather increasing our calories burned, or we can drop the intake down slowly to 1800 calories. And you should be able to then lose weight at that time. But you're right. Telling, <laughs> telling clients that, Hey, like, what if we increase calories? It's like the last thing that people want to do. Generally for those clients, I, uh, we choose to meet once a week to like, go through things. What have you eaten? What are your macros? How are you feeling? What are your inches? Send me your pictures because that, oh, that scale will just make you feel not so great. But if you're seeing inches remain the same or even decrease, but the scale is not moving or even increasing, well, there's something else going on. You're getting tighter. Something's happening. And so trying to look at more data points than just oh my goodness, I haven't lost weight or oh my goodness, I'm up 1.5 pounds try something tomorrow morning, jump on the scale, drink 
I don't know, 24 ounces of water, then jump on the scale again, the weight's going to be different. And so how you store your water on any given day, especially on a ketogenic diet, where on keto, if you increase your carbs just a little bit, each gram of carb is going to carry with it around four grams of water. And so if you increased your carbs one day, you're going to weigh more tomorrow. Is it fat? No, it's water. And so just constantly preaching yourselves these truths over and over and over and over again is really helpful. So you should be able to lose weight at that, maybe even that 2000 calorie amount. It might not be that you are actually seeing the scale move, but you're seeing your body change. And that's what we care about. And that's where the inches and pictures of yourself are a good reminder of how you're progressing. Well, thank you for that info. And uh, I would like to move to a different topic. I'm just going to ask you one more follow-up question here, because again, I'm I, I'm curious of what your answer would be. And I'm sure folks listening would be curious about this too. And then I, I promise to the listeners, we'll move on to something that's not just about weight management. Uh, with that okay. being said, for folks listening where it's like, this has been their you know, toughest thing to conquer. Um, it's yeah, I'm sure this is really valuable. So thank you for getting into this with me. Um, so folks listening uh, might be wondering like, so Leanne, you spin a good yarn, um, but you know, how the heck is it that um, eating more calories would cause me to lose weight? Like what's, what's the approximate mechanism there? Like I'm, I'm burning 2000 a day with my activity. I want to be in a bit of a car, uh, calorie deficit. So I'm actually losing some weight over time. So maybe I'll aim for 1800. How is it that only eating 1300 is somehow like interfering with my ability to lose weight? Yeah. So your base metabolic rate, depending on this individual, um, is really how your how many calories your body needs to just function. That's like beating heart, growing nails, hair, like hair growing. One of the number one things that I see in individuals that aren't eating enough is that they're losing a lot of hair, that their skin is really like loose and dull and just like not great. And because the body's just deprioritizing things, you are not eating enough. It's like, it's like having a car and saying, well, I don't have enough money to fill it with gas. So I'm just I'm just going to see if the car will run on empty. Like you're just not going to get very far. And so um, unfortunately in a car, the car can't say, okay, we're getting close to empty. So we're going to like stop burning as much fuel, but the, but the body is so, so innately just incredible that it's like, wait a minute, we're not getting enough. So we're going to, we're going to just kibosh the whole hormone balancing thing. We're going to cut out all the hair growing and nails and skin. We don't care about that. We just need to keep the heart beating. Even the digestive system will shut down. Constipation, number one thing I'm always like, are you eating enough? Because if you're not eating enough, your peristalsis of your body is just not going to work properly and you're not going to be pooing regularly. And so, yeah, you want to be in a deficit from how much you're burning. If your base metabolic rate, let's do easy math, is 1500 per day. Um, and then your activities and everything else puts you at 2000, but you're eating 1300. The math doesn't make sense. You're at way too much of a deficit for way too long of a time to make any significant changes. Like max deficit, max, max would be 20%. And that that's a lot. And that's really challenging long-term to do. Um, so if the individual was eating 2000 calories, a 10% deficit would be 200 calories. And I think that that's a really good place to aim for. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's just not enough. You just can't work with that. It's like trying to pay a bill and saying, well, it's $100, but I only have 20. 
no, you need, you, you owe a hundred. <laughs> like, and so that's kind of how the body works too. That's, that's a, thank you for that. And just kind of circling back to something you said, like where it's, you know, if we break that down, like basal metabolic rate, like, you know, it's your, um, your, to fuel your basic metabolism. And, you know, what is your metabolism? When we talk about metabolism as being like this, you know, thing is like, I have a good metabolism, bad metabolism, high, fast or slow or fast or whatever, but ultimately the metabolism um, to my understanding is, and it's, I'm just seeing this to the audience. I'm sure you know all this, yep. Leanne, I'm not, uh, not schooling you here. Um, but uh, just for folks listening, your metabolism is the sum total of all the chemical reactions that occur in your body. And the vast majority of those chemical reactions require energy. Um, and so if we don't have the raw material to make that energy, then the metabolism is not going to work. So if you're thinking like, ah, oh, like this still doesn't make sense. Like it's like, well, just think if you think about it in that term, like, you know, um, yeah, your basal metabolic rate bare minimum needed to run your metabolism to run those, you know, uh, all those reactions. So you're gonna have a really poor metabolism. If you don't have the energy to run your metabolism, it's a little bit, you know, kind of tough to wrap your head around, I think sometimes, but that's kind of the, the in and out of it. So it would, anything I said there that you wouldn't agree with, um, Leanne, or is that, um, I agree you with you hundred percent, a hundred percent. And also because we're speaking to individuals that are dealing with chronic illness, you're not going to be able to recover from a chronic illness while not supporting your basal metabolic rate. Um, if you're dealing with any of these issues, you need a substantial amount of energy, a substantial amount of healing, and we're just not going to be able to achieve that when you're not eating enough. And that's why I say the core foundation of root cause work is the diet. And it could be diet quality, it could be the macros and shifting them around, or it could be actually the volume of food and making sure that you're eating enough. So um, mold illness, um, chemical toxicity, Lyme, some of these immune issues, immune often comes with deficiencies. And so if we can boost up your immune system and really support it with a good quality diet, it's going to be far better um, than under eating because it's just time and time again, I see we won't recover from these things if we're not eating enough. I've definitely seen that in practice, like at a more extreme end, like where folks are like, oh, I've, you know, read about this fasting protocol or something. And like, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's a good choice, but oftentimes as you're, uh, for folks who are just listening to the podcast, Leah, I'm making a horrified face, uh, so giving the no, no way, uh, gesture. Um, yeah, I could just, people can get really depleted. I've seen folks make themselves like quite a bit worse. It takes a long time to bounce back from it sometimes. So yeah. timing is everything. And, um, yeah, it's usually better to nourish the body when it's in a super depleted state as opposed to uh yeah restricting it but um we, sh we should uh, switch topics here Leanne, if you don't mind i know i'm it's my fault here that we're uh, still on this topic but it's it's i think it's a fascinating one and again i think a lot of folks will be interested in hearing about it um because of course you know uh, folks listening to this podcast could be at any phase of their healing journey they might be in the throes mm -hmm. of complex chronic illness they might be 90 percent of the way out and now they're like oh and like now i'm feeling better it's like I'm, I'm concerned about this extra 20 pounds or 30 pounds that I have on me. So I think it's yeah uh, still, still relevant to folks. Um, I would like to pick your brain a bit, a bit about the uh, functional blood chemistry. Um, not a lot of folks out there I find like on social media and whatnot, talk about it. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear your take. Um, so would you be able to um, uh, maybe just in the interest of time, uh, just give us a quick little like uh, definition of like what the heck is functional blood chemistry. And then would you mind sharing uh, just maybe a couple of examples from your experience where it's been, been useful or what kind of things you might look for in some ways that might apply to folks uh, dealing with complex chronic illness, please. Yes. Cole's notes version. Okay. So you go to your doctor, 
they say nothing's wrong with you. I looked at these labs, everything's good. And you're like, I feel terrible. I don't understand. Well, the doctor is generally looking at diagnostic levels, right? So are you super sick? Is something killing you? <laughs> okay. So um, it's good that you've gotten the green light from that doctor saying diagnostically, everything looks okay. But we want to look at function. We want to understand what's actually happening within the body in those tight ranges. And so with functional blood chemistry, we're looking at not only tighter ranges, um, but we're also looking at how individual markers relate to other markers. So like in the case of liver, I talked a little bit about the alkaline phosphatase, the bilirubin, the GGT, the AST. Um, if all of these four markers are high, it's a pretty good chance we have some biliary issues. Um, if we see that even with a high LDH or a high iron, that's another case for, okay, now we're at six markers, now showing that there's probably a biliary um, issue. And so um, the art of functional blood chemistry is not just looking at individual markers saying high, low, high, low, normal, normal, high, low. It's okay, well, if this marker is high, what are the other markers that relate to this marker that could give us more understanding within the pattern? So for example, with um, parasites, the parasite pattern generally is um, elevated eosinophils, elevated basophils, elevated monocytes, generally with low ferritin anywhere between like 25 to 35 ish. So if I see all four of those things, I'm going to say that's a pretty complete pattern. If I then see um, bun being low, LDH being low, alkaline phosphatase being low, GGT being low, that's another four markers in that pattern that are completing that pattern. And so I like to think of functional blood chemistry, and this might sound kind of corny, but like a song. Um, and really our goal as a practitioner is understanding what is the song that the body is telling us. It's not just one note, it's multiple notes within that song that tells us, are we dealing with parasites? Are we dealing with H. pylori or copper anemia we can see or iron anemia, which people are familiar with and most doctors will jump on that. We can see mast cell activation. We can see viruses. We can see heavy metals, um, low hydrochloric acid, digestive distress. All these different songs can be played within our blood work. And the more markers or notes that we see within this blood work, the more it completes that song of low hydrochloric acid or lime or those sorts of things. So that's, that's kind of an introduction into functional blood chemistry. And I, I found it to be so helpful, even in my own experience. So a little quick story, I started working out about a year ago. And with my background of not eating enough for many, many years, I have to be just kind of on the lookout for adrenal issues that might happen. And over the last week, I felt kind of depleted. I went in for a basic blood work panel, it was $30. And within that blood work panel, I saw my sodium low, my, my chloride was low, my potassium was high. I'm like, yep, that's an adrenal pattern. I got to slow down. Those are basic markers. I think that those blood tests alone are probably a dollar. And that can give me phenomenal um, information about how hard I'm pushing and the fact that I need to back down a little bit. So we can use these in all, all settings. Um, but the blood and the cells, which is what we're testing for, the cells respond so quickly to the environment. 
Um, and so we can see how protocols are progressing and how we're doing based on standard blood work that costs a couple dollars versus, you know, a mycotoxin test that might cost 200 to $450, depending on which ones you're running. And we can see the body's response to mycotoxins in blood work. So why wouldn't we start with blood work, see if we have those markers and symptoms, and then address accordingly and check on blood work as opposed to constantly running these mycotoxin tests, which can be quite expensive. They are very expensive to say the very least. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and if you don't mind sharing Leanne, cause I'm sure a number of folks listening would be like, Oh, mold, like that, that's something that applies to me. Um, what are some of the markers that you'd be looking at with, uh, like that might come up in someone who's mold toxic? Yeah. So the reason I didn't say I didn't give an example for mold is because it's quite a complicated song, quote unquote. Okay. So the mold pattern generally, okay, generally, we're going to see um, elevated monocytes. We're usually going to see a uh, low pH, low CO2, um, low ferritin, usually low A1C. Then it gets complicated, high or low, okay? Uh, white blood cells, um, RBCs can be high or low, iron, total cholesterol, um, LDL. Generally speaking, generally, when I look at a cholesterol panel and I see it super, super elevated, I'm going to go more on the side of thyroid issues, um, parasites first, and, and just addressing the gut. If it continues to be elevated or starts dropping down, or I see a cholesterol panel that's super low, I'm thinking mold. Um, if cholesterol is super tanked or LDL is super tanked, HDL is super tanked, thinking mold. Uh, glucose, when it's super low, um, HbA1c, when it's high or low, CRP, ESR, high or low, TGF, beta 1, usually elevated, um, yeah, that one, it, it's, it's a really complicated song and it takes a long time of a lot of labs to start seeing it and picking it out. Um, creatinine can be high or low, bun can be high or low, um, uric acid, phosphorus, alkaline, phosphatase, AST, ALT can all be high or low. So if we're seeing all these markers either super high or super low, generally in chronic mold, we're going to see all of that low. Like it's just going to be low, chronic um, if we're seeing it elevated, usually a rule of thumb is if I'm seeing elevation, the body's still got some kick and vitality in there. Um, when I'm seeing it low, the body is just like, I'm done. I'm out. This is chronic. And it's usually going to take a lot longer to recoup from that than it will a body that's still responding to the situation. Um, when it stops responding, that's usually when we have an issue. But a good a good marker, if I could just answer really quickly of like, I would look at cholesterol panel. And if you've been told multiple times, your cholesterol is just really low, then I would think mold. That's just a general statement. It could be other things. Um, but again, that mold mycotoxin pattern is, is a little bit complicated. I think that's putting it mildly, Leanne. And I, I apologize to um, any listeners where your head is spinning right now. I know that was my fault for asking the question. And Leanne did warn us that it was going to be complicated, but um, th thank you for sharing that. Um, just one thing to clarify, uh, and I, I assume I know the answer from uh, being familiar with uh, functional blood chemistry myself, but uh, when you say high and low, I'm assuming you're meaning like in the standard reference range, but kind of like high end of normal, low end of normal, like that's what you mean by high and low as a general rule, I assume? Yeah. So this is the difficult part. Um, and when we get to the, how can people find out more about me, hopefully I can talk about my blood work course because, um, 
it's taken me about three years to kind of look at labs, listen to uh, mentors and kind of adjust these ranges based on what I'm seeing um, and what other practitioners are seeing. And so a general rule of thumb, yes, is to just look at the standard number range that you see on your labs and look if, if it's on the low end of normal or the high end of normal, where that doesn't always work is markers like cholesterol, where they legit do not care how low your triglycerides are. I think for triglycerides in some place, it says like zero to whatever. So it's like, you don't want your triglycerides to be zero. This is a bad idea. And so for certain things like that, it doesn't make sense. Um, but for, you know, your your CBC with differential, which includes your white blood cells and red blood cells, it's a good way to kind of see high or low kind of in between. You kind of want it like in the middle of most things. Um, and yeah, if it's outside of the diagnostic ranges, um, then it needs to be addressed like now functionally. If your doctor doesn't, if your doctor doesn't say there's something diagnostic going on, obviously. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Um, and uh, just where I know we're kind of winding down on time here a bit, Leanne, I know uh, you also um, have a lot of uh, wisdom around uh, parasites as well. Uh, one of my favorite questions to ask, because I've talked to several other guests about parasites um, over over the uh, uh, lifetime of the podcast. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask is, um, you know, what are just some of the top um uh, therapeutic agents that you've um, either recommended or seen, you know, observed by proxy um, that have been the most effective, um, you know, pharmaceutical versus non-pharmaceutical options. Uh, can you do it all through diet? Um, yeah. What are, if we want to just kick some critters to the curb, uh, what are some of the, the heavy hitters that you've found in your experience? That's a very good question. I love more than anything, killing parasites It is like this I don't know. I think like, I just love it so much. Um, so first you need to know and not be discouraged that even if you try some of these things and you don't see parasites being passed, 30% are seen, 70% you won't. And so don't be discouraged if you're picking around in your poo and you see nothing. Um, Cause like Entamoeba histolytica, for example, you're not going to be able to see that. And I was always really discouraged, even though I knew I wouldn't see anything. I just really wanted to see something. So um, in the case of my example, Entamoeba histolytica, I used a lot of different um, natural antimicrobials, but about a year and a half in, I was like, I, I got to use the heavy hitters. And I did uh, one round of antibiotic, like double antibiotic therapy. And that was like, I, I think it worked only because I had been at it for so long um, with natural means. And some individuals decide to do fully natural. Some like me do a combination. Others are like, I'm just going to go with the medication. I think um, the the approach that I've seen most effective is a combination of both when we have some serious heavy hitters, like in the case of like Giardia or the Entamoeba histolytica, um, where you just need a combination of things. Generally, I would say my all time favorite antimicrobial is Mimosa pudica. I love, love, love this because whether you have um, mast cell activation or you're chronically um, just totally flatlined. I find mimosa to be the least likely to trigger any sort of Herx reaction or mast cell reaction because a lot of these antimicrobials will. And so the mimosa pudica time and time and time again is just like fantastic. I love using solo herbals. They're probably my favorite, like 
berberine and oil of oregano and those sorts of things. So we can really, if, if an individual is sensitive, like if you have Lyme and you also have parasites, the last thing you want to do is do like a multi um, herbal remedy that's super strong because it will knock you on your butt and you will never, you will just hate doing it. Um, I really like Vidanga and Artemisia, uh, Mimosa, we already talked about, um, the Golden Thread, also known as Berberine. Um, I, I like a good black walnut, but it depends on the individual and like how much they're able to handle. Um, and then for combo herbals, I'm in love with Cellcor. I use Cellcor more than any other um, brand when it comes to parasite killing and binders. Um, because their binders don't need to be taken away from food, which is just such a pain when you're on so many different supplements to then take your binder away from food and take the antimicrobial on an empty stomach and like your life becomes your supplements and it's just uh, no. So I use a company called Cellcor more often than not when individuals can handle it. Um, yeah, and then just understand that um, full moon protocols, though they're effective for maintenance, it's not something to just like do if you think this is your first time with a parasite issue, you think you have parasites and you're like, I'm just going to kill these guys over three days during the full moon. It's just, that's not going to work. Um, so you need to be um, more strategic in your operation. And I think unfortunately due to social media, there's just a lot of people that talk about the full moon thing. Um, so yeah, just at least a month, maybe a little bit longer individual herbals. If you're sensitive combo herbals, if you're not um, and medication, if it's just not doing the trick, um, but more oftentimes than not, we can kill them with um, just herbal remedies. Um, but some cases, including myself, I had to go for the the heavy hitters. Um, and and I'm assuming uh, just just to make sure that nobody's uh, mis mis misconstruing every anything here. Um, I, I'm assuming that you're saying that uh, like. Uh, it's probably not going to work to do a full moon protocol, just like say treating parasites three days a month, which I couldn't agree with more. Um, but that uh, I'm sure you've certainly had patients and acknowledged that, um, you know, some folks definitely have worse symptoms around the full moon. Like you've, I'm sure seen that pattern a number of times before. Yes. Oh yeah. The full moon sucks. Um, and once you get into maintenance, when you've killed off parasites, symptoms are way down. A good way to make sure that parasites don't set up camp long-term is the full moon protocol. But the full moon protocol is not something you do when it's like, I have a serious parasite issue. I'm going to cleanse for three days and kill these guys. It's just not enough time. Most parasites have a longer life cycle, which just means you're going to have to be on these things longer than three days is what I meant by that. Yeah. hundred percent. And I, that's what I took. I just, yeah, wanted to make sure uh, crystal clear. Always a smart idea to make sure. <laughs> I think so. Um, well, uh, Leanne, thanks so much for sharing all of this information with the uh, listeners today. Um, uh, just as we're wrapping up here, um, I'd like to ask you about, um, just how folks can get in touch with you or, uh, how they can access any offerings that you have online or whatnot, how they can find you on social media. Um, just before we jump into that though, are there any, um, parting words or anything that you wanted to mention to listeners that we haven't got into? I'm sure we could talk for hours longer, but, uh, any other uh, big take-homes or, um, if not, that's, that's okay, but just want to give you the chance. I think the most important thing and the most common conversation I have with every client is that patience is required. 
a lot of the people that you hear sharing their stories, including my own, I started this journey in 2007. So I've been at this a really long time, uh, working on my personal health, working with individuals, and this stuff takes time. My health is not perfect, perfect now. It's far better than it was. But I think the danger we have with any goals that we have in regards to our health, wellness, whether we're chronically ill, and I've been there, I've had months where I didn't get out of bed because I was so sick from mold and had no idea what I was, what was going on. And it's taken over a decade to get back to the gym and training and all those things. So just have patience for yourself, have grace for yourself and understand that if you are shifting in symptoms by a couple percent every month, that is a very, 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 very good goal. Um, and try not to think so much about that end goal, but just those small progressive steps, because it can get really discouraging if you're looking at the big picture. Um, and that can cause some issues in your mind, which then presents itself as symptoms. So just try to have patience and understand that setting little baby goals like I'm going to go for a five minute walk in the sun. I remember having to set that goal and getting three minutes and having to sit down. <laughs> and so just those baby, baby goals, not I'm going to run a marathon in a year. That's just way too far off. And so have patience with yourself, um, grace for yourself and make those mini goals. So I wish I would have heard that a lot more and actually believed it when I was really sick. <laughs> well, um, Take it from one who's been there, folks. So I think it's it's good advice. So yeah, some cases, of course, progress faster than that, but some are really slow. And uh, yeah, it's you have two options: keep uh, plodding along one step at a time, or or give up. And man, um, just got to make that decision. But folks yeah. like us are there to help along the way, and it's yeah, we just move along as quick as we're able to. Um, well, <clears throat> thank you for sharing all of that, Leanne. Um, so how can folks find you um, on social media? Uh, what, uh, how can they work with you if, um, if you work with folks? Well, I know you work with folks all around the world, according to the wonderful bio that you sent me. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so how can folks get in touch with you in, in various ways? Yeah. So if you have Instagram, I'm at Leanne Vogel. That's L-E-A-N-N-E-V-O-G-E-L. I also have a website, healthfulpursuit.com. Um, if that's just like you don't even know how to spell healthful or pursuit, you're not the only ones. You can go to leannevogel.com and it'll redirect there. Um, within that space, I have a blood work course um, that just gives you those functional ranges that you can kind of look at your own blood work, sit down. It's less than $100 for the full course, including videos and the ranges and all the markers, which is like unheard of. Um, and so just kind of sitting down with your blood work and making sense of it all the way through to working with me in a group setting, a macro setting, if you just need help with diet alone, or like full on root cause getting in there, getting in the trenches and figuring out what is going on with your body. So all that is accessible um, through healthfulpursuit.com or again, leannevogel.com if you can't spell either one. Um, Oh, yeah. And I have a podcast, the Keto Diet Podcast. Um, we come up with episodes every Tuesday. I think we're at like episode 440 or something ridiculous. So there is a lot there for you to consume um, all about just not only does it fit your macros, um, but what are the functional things that you should be thinking about if you want to live a lower carb lifestyle? So yeah, that's where to find me. Wonderful. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that. And <clears throat> I will include links to all of those resources in the show notes. So if you're listening to, this on, listening to this on a podcast platform, just check the show notes. If you're watching this on YouTube, then it'll be in the comment section below. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, Leanne. It was a wonderful chat and I uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Brian. This was wonderful. Your questions were so great. And I hope that people weren't 
all the things from us today. So thank you. Oh, th thanks for the feedback. I hope so too. Um, and thank you to everyone listening to this episode of the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast. We will be back with another one in a couple of weeks.